it's great to be with you. It's true. I could be anywhere I want to be on my birthday, but chose to be here. So, uh, you know, I do love Essex. Um, do love Colchester. Met my wife here, got married here, had six kids here. That's an investment. How many of you know that? That's a commitment. And so uh, I just love what God's doing in this place. And uh, yeah, thank you that you received me so well. It's just, uh, it's great to see what God is doing around the world. Just last weekend, I was in northern Germany in a little place called Flensburg. It's a tiny little town right near the Danish border. Um, and uh, we launched Equippers Flensburg, uh, a young man who I trained many years ago and, and ordained him and put him in there three years ago in this church. It was a struggling church for many years. And uh, it's just exploding and people getting saved. In fact, on the first Sunday um, where we launched uh, at Quippers Flensburg, 10 people gave their lives to Christ, which is just fantastic on that Sunday. <laughs> Isn't that good? Just love it when that happens. Uh, people get saved. It's what it's all about. So listen, we, we're doing a series on heart values, the heart values of Equippers. Um, you know, behind every uh, expression of priority and program, that there is usually some kind of value system that drives things. It's like the foundation in a building. You never see it, but it holds everything up. Yeah. And so we, we all choose to have values, whether we choose to have them consciously or whether we choose to have them subconsciously. And, and if you can align your life to a set of values that you truly believe in, you truly subscribe to, I believe that the, the building that goes on top of that is, is a very good expression. Jesus talked about if you're going to build, don't build on sand. Build on something substantial. Build on a rock. And, of course, we can look at that as Jesus himself. Um, but... but all kinds of values that line up with who Jesus is. That's the thing to do. And so last week we were looking at honor, biblical uh, view of honor. This week I want to take the, the view of excellence. Uh, excellence. And it's a challenging one. But, you know, in, in Psalm 8, I love the way David, um, he talks about the Lord. He says, Lord, oh, Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. That's how he begins it. And Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, I want you to approve. He's writing to the Philippine church. I want you to approve the things that are excellent. And he comes back to that later on. He said, whatsoever things are good and pure and just and noble and of good report, think on these things. They're the kind of excellent things. And so the Bible is constantly referring to uh, our pursuit as a pursuit of excellence. And, and so I, I want to give you some thoughts here. I've got a definition. I don't know if the guys have got. There we go. There's a definition of excellence, dictionary definition. To surpass others or be superior in some respect or area, to do extremely well. Isn't that wonderful? To do extremely well. You know, it says of Jesus in Mark chapter 7, the people watched Jesus and it says, he did all things well. That's what the people said about Jesus. They noticed his excellence. Uh, they noticed it was not like the scribes and Pharisees. It, it was just at a different level. And um, for me, there's this scripture in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 3. I want to kick off with this. It says, then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps. Not because he had a superior attitude. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about looking down on people and thinking that you're better. That's not what I'm talking about. We're talking about something that's, that Daniel had here. He distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. You know, excellence is, first of all, a spirit. It's something that's an attitude of heart. In other words, before you ever become excellent, 
you pursue excellence as a goal on the inside. It's something you have. I've always said to people, there's nothing wrong with mediocrity as long as you don't park there. As long as you don't set up a tent to mediocrity. Mediocrity is often something you pass through on the route towards excellence. In other words, if you're going to learn an instrument, it begins by you practicing. And in the beginning, you know, we've had kids who've practiced instruments. In fact, our youngest daughter chose the violin. How many of you know that's the most painful instrument (laughs) you could possibly choose on the road to excellence? You know, once they're excellence, the violin is a beautiful instrument. But on the road to excellence, oh, God, is it painful. And so you've got to understand that this idea of having a spirit, having a heart, first of all, that's what distinguished Daniel. And because he had the heart to be the best he could possibly be in any situation, eventually he became the best. And there's nothing wrong with, with not being the best yet as long as you're pursuing to being the best version of you or the best you can possibly be. And I believe everybody can have a spirit of excellence. Everybody can have that heart of excellence. Paul is writing to a group of slaves in Colossians chapter 3. Now, how would you write to slaves to encourage them? You know, I've often pondered this. You know, the Roman Empire had literally millions of slaves. When they went and took over a territory, they often captured people and, and they became indentured slaves, slaves for life usually. Caesar himself had quarter of a million slaves. That's how many he owned. And, and the Roman Empire was full of slaves. So Paul is having to address this issue. And it's like, well, how can you write to a group of people who really have no rights and, and very limited mobility, very little earning power, uh, very little control over their life, their destiny? And you're talking about freedom in Christ and you're talking about forgiveness, you're talking about all these wonderful truths. But how do you encourage them? And when Paul writes to them, he says these words in verse 22, bond servants, slaves, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing from the Lord you're going to receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. In other words, here's how Paul deals with that situation. He says, look, You know, slavery is not a great thing. But in your context, I want you to imagine you're not working for men. You're working for Jesus. In your heart, don't do it to please your earthly master. Do whatever you do to please your heavenly master. And that will transform the attitude that you bring to what you do. It's like God is looking, and whatever reward you don't get now, whatever, however you're shortchanged, however somebody holds back on what is really your right and your due, don't worry, God's going to make it right eventually. Now, doesn't that kind of transform things? And so the first point I just want to make this morning is, if we're going to be people who pursue excellence, it's actually an attitude of heart. It's a spirit. It's something on the inside that you have to get right. No matter what your circumstances are, you have to recognize God is seeing, God is watching, God is our rewarder. And if we, if we kind of capture that in our spirit, I believe it begins to transform things. Here's the second thing I want to say. Uh, if, you, if you pursue excellence, you get noticed. See, Daniel got noticed. And here's the thing. He's an immigrant. He's not a Babylonian. He's a captive of a fallen city 
and an enemy. But he's brought into Babylon and everything in his life changes. His name changes. His clothes change. He has to dress differently. His diet changes. His na- everything about it changes. His language changes. He has to learn a new language. It's like he's a refugee. <laughs> you know, he's an immigrant. He's captured as a young man, probably 17 years of age. How many of you know you could get really resentful and bitter? And here he is in Babylon. And here's the other thing about Daniel. If you're somebody who loves God and everything that you know in terms of relating to God is taken away, how do you deal with that? There's no temple. There's no priests. There's no sacrifices. You're not able to connect with God in the way you know and understood in terms of your heritage. So so Daniel does what he can do. He prays three times a day. He chooses what food he will eat because he can't control much, but he says, well, I can control my diet. That's the one thing I can control. And it's like he, he just does a few things, and it says something about his spirit and his heart, and he believes God will do something. It's the same with Joseph when he's sold into slavery. There's another guy. Talk about getting bitter with life. I mean, betrayed by your brothers. For a start, they want to kill you, but at least one brother says, well, let's sell him and make some money. It's like, what a great way to start off, eh? And again, he's about 17. And how many of you know, teenagers are angry. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) If anyone had a right to be angry, it was Joseph. But what does he do? He develops an excellent spirit. Do you know what? Your gifting will always rise to the surface. See, Joseph had a a leadership gift. He had a management gift. He had an ability to administrate. And so wherever you put him, his gift rose to the surface. He's in Potiphar's house, and very soon he's over everything to do with Potiphar's household. You need to understand that would have been vast. We're not talking about, you know, upstairs, downstairs. We're not talking about Downton Abbey. We're talking about hundreds of people that he would have been overseeing. Because that's how important Potiphar was. Then he eventually gets thrown in prison. What happens? You read a few chapters. Blimey, he's he's in charge of the whole prison. How does that happen? Well, because he's got an excellent spirit. Because he's got an excellent spirit, his gift keeps rising to the surface. It doesn't matter where God places you. Whatever your gift in, it will rise to the surface. You just got to keep developing a a, a good spirit. And, and, And here's the second thing. If not only will, is it about an attitude of heart, not only will you get noticed, but here's another thing. If you develop excellence, you'll get promoted. You see, the king thought to set him over the whole kingdom. What this immigrant, this Jew, this non-Babylonian, this guy who's speaking a second language, I hope some of you are feeling much better now. You know, when you're in a country, you don't speak the language properly. I lived in Denmark for eight years, you know, and trying to learn Danish. Well, they say it takes, it's going to be the language of heaven because it takes eternity to learn it. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's so funny being in a country where you're not born there and the way people treat you. It is differently. It is different. And you don't realize, I didn't know how British I was till I moved to Denmark. <laughs> I didn't know. You know, I really missed Tip Tree Marmalade. <laughs> the no-peel version. It's the only one to have, I promise you. But listen, if you are somebody who pursues excellence, you get promoted. And, and here's the other thing. Not only do you get promoted, but if you're really, really good at what you do, people will pay you. Isn't that great? 
If you get good, people will eventually pay you. Here's what Proverbs 22:29 says. It says in the message version, observe people who are good at their work. Skilled workers are always in demand and admire. They don't take a backseat to anybody. Hey, listen, have you ever had somebody work for you and they do what we call a bodge job? Isn't that painful? Especially if you have a slight perfectionist tendency like some of us do. It's like you went to all the trouble to pay someone else and now you look at it and it's painful every day. But boy, if you get somebody who's skilled at what they do and they do a great job for you, oh my God, isn't that satisfying? You look at it and you say, actually, I couldn't have done any better than that. It was awesome. Thank you so much. You see, he says here, the message version, the wisdom of Proverbs is skilled workers are always in demand. Always in demand. You know, I think mediocrity is one of the worst things that has hit the church for years. Just mediocrity. It's like, oh, my goodness. It's like the sound system is just not good enough. And the, the chairs are uncomfortable. And it's like, now, listen, I know all those things are secondary. I know they're secondary to the presence of God. But once you've got the presence of God, let's have a good sound system. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Let's pursue something that is better than what we have so that we can attract people. I love the musicianship here. I love that. I love that we got a 14-year-old on drums. I love that. He's good. He's not great, but he's 14. He's good. Give him another four or five years. He's going to be marvelous. He's going to be excellent. Do you know what I mean? In other words, we pursue. We go on the journey. We accept something for what it is for right now. Listen, there was a time where with my family, things were tough financially. We had a Mazda. It was a red Mazda. Can you imagine that? A father of six. With a red Mazda. It was backwards and forwards. Or else cram them all in and hope the police never see you. <laughs> I remember one time, the driver door fell off. One of the hinges broke. And so I opened the door and the door went clunk. So, so <laughs> it was that time where t- things were really tough. So I remember I was climbing in and out of the passenger door. And uh, whenever I got stopped by the police, I'd, I'd wind the window down and thinking, I hope he doesn't ask me to get out of the car. It was <laughs> clunk. It's going to be really embarrassing. And I remember one time I found, I went to a breaker's yard and I found another Mazda, exactly the same year, exactly the same make. It was fantastic. And I bought all four doors, like a fiver each. I thought, this is brilliant. Four brand new doors for 20 quid. Fantastic. Put them on, spent a day, changed all the doors over. It was brilliant. It's just one problem. My car was red. And this car was silver. And I thought a red car with four silver doors was really cool. I thought there is no other car on the road that looks like this. My kids didn't agree with me. I don't know why, they just didn't think it was excellent. And uh, I remember we would drive, I would drive to school, and like a kilometre before the, the front gate, he's like, you can drop me off here, Dad, it's fine. Just drop me here. I'll walk the rest of the way. And I, it, was like, it was like the walk of shame if I dropped them outside. It was like, what's that? What's that? It's like sometimes you have to accept mediocrity because of, because of where you are in the journey. But listen, if you park there and say, well, this is my lot in life. This is, this is all I'm good for. That's not good. That's not great. I remember after working for a company here in Colchester, 
um, for about three years, I remember my boss said to me, okay, we need to get you a nice car now. And I thought, yes. <laughs> yes. I remember he took me out to, to uh, one of these car showrooms, and all the cars were there. They were like, they were like two years of age, these cars. They were not brand new, but they, they looked really good, two years old. I remember he said to me, just choose a car. It was like, ooh, that was a good feeling. Yeah. I remember driving the car home. I remember dri driving the kids the next day to school. And it was like, right outside the front door, Dad. Right outside the front door. It's like, no longer ashamed of Dad's car. Oh. They knew what excellence was. Hey, hey you know, listen, we, we all know when we've touched excellence. You know, it's when you get, it's when the extra becomes standard. Listen, I'm old enough to remember when cars did not have air conditioning units. I really am that old. I sang to my wife over breakfast, when I get older, losing my head, not so long from now. Yes, I'm 64. And so, uh, <laughs> and she did send me a Valentine this year. Yeah, how about that? And, um, <coughs> oh, where was I? <laughs> Shouldn't do this. Extra becomes standard. <laughs> I was getting all romantic then. It was just not good. Not good during seven. Okay. So I remember when air conditioning units. So in, in 1978, I went to America for the first time, 1978. I remember a friend and I, we went into a, um, a sort of a, a Dunkin' Donuts place. And I remember he ordered a... Um, he ordered <laughs> a chocolate uh, a chocolate sundae. You know what that is, right? Yeah. yeah. So he ordered this chocolate sundae, and we sat there. And when it came, I'm not kidding you, it was like this big. Like, <laughs> and he said, I ordered a chocolate sundae, not a month of sundaes. <laughs> We'd never seen anything like it. It was like dying and going to heaven. You know, it was just amazing. And then we got in a car, and there was an air conditioning unit. And it was really hot. It was, really, it was in New England. It was September time, very, very hot weather. And it's like, oh, my goodness. What is that? What's that cool air? I said, we don't have fans like that. He said, that's the air con. And I said, you have air con in your car? He goes, it's standard. <laughs> it's like, I want to live in America. It was like, it was awesome experience at the age of 22, just experiencing all those things. It's like, oh, my goodness, this is brilliant. And came back to England. It's like, hmm. You had to pay extra to get it. Listen, you know when there's an excellence because when the extra becomes standard, yeah. then, then you're on the road to excellence. Don't, don't, don't you love the way cars... Listen, in November, I got to visit McLaren's. Somebody paid for me to go and choose three friends. It's 300 pounds a ticket to look around McLaren's. And you get a three-course three meal at the end of it. It takes about two and a half hours. Those cars, if you have to ask for the price... You can't afford it. <laughs> but I did anyway. <laughs> They're 750,000 pounds. If you sell it in America, there's only one place in America you can take a McLaren to change the tires or get the engine serviced. It's a beauty. It's excellent. Do you know McLaren? Bruce McLaren died at the age of 31 when he started McLaren Industries. It, it, it's fascinating, but just that pursuit of excellence that he put into his company that has improved cars over the years. And it's really one of the creme de la creme motor cars 
that you can buy. And it's just down the road, Woking, from where I live. It's really, really nice. But my, my point is simply this. We all know what excellence looks like. Yeah. It's when people go further than you really expect them to. It's that spirit and attitude that you pick up on people. Have you noticed that some people you can, you can pick up an attitude where, oh, it's good enough, what are you complaining about? Well, okay, it's good enough. I remember talking to a group of people, and I said, you know, he, so here's the difficulty. When we use a, a term like honor or excellence, it's, it's like up here. And what we've got to do is we've got to try and drill down, and we've got to ask ourselves, okay, in our relationships or in our workplace or in our church or in our life, how do we translate that into a habit or an action or an attitude or a way of speaking? Yeah. You've got to drill it right down. So I was with a group of uh, students who, who, um, who picked me up from the airport one time. They did a really bad job. They were late, and the car was really filthy. And, uh, you know, and I just, so I said, let's talk about excellence. If you were being picked up from the airport, what would you like? What would be really helpful to you? Imagine you're somebody going to a foreign country. Now, I love being picked up in Germany or Switzerland because when you get picked up at the airport there, it's on time. With Italy, I take a book. I remember, one time, I remember one time a guy came to pick me up from the airport. And he just wasn't there. And so I went and had a nice espresso coffee. I had my book. I was waiting for him. Peter, uh, I'm a 20 minutes away. I can mock the Italians because my mother's Italian. So it's okay for me to do that. Peter, soon. No problemo. I'm coming. Thank you. I'm waiting. An hour goes by. Yeah, an hour, seriously, an hour goes by. So I rang him up. Where are you? I'm here. I'm looking for you. I said, I'm right by the exit in the coffee shop. And he goes, I can't see you. I said, put your hand up. I didn't see any hand. I said, I've got my hand up. Can you see it? And then I had a revelation. I said, which airport are you at? <laughs> He'd gone to the wrong airport. So I waited another hour. So sorry, scusa. He didn't know. Yeah, okay. So I'm talking to these students. What would be a, what would be a good what would be a good thing if you're picking someone up from the airport? And you know, it was it was like getting blood out of a stone. Well, well, you just turn up on time. Yeah, I said that would be good. Anything else? Uh, are you sure the car is clean? I said, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Anything else? Oh, I don't know. I said, well, if, if you've never met somebody, how about a little sign, maybe? Would that be helpful? Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. How about sending your phone number in advance in case you miss one another? Oh, yeah, never thought of that. You know? <laughs> and all I'm trying to do, listen, and you can do this with anything. I'm trying to drill down from a concept that's up here, excellence, which we have a sort of an idea of what it is, to say in any context that you're in, drill down and ask yourself, well, what could we do to make it better? Or are we just accepting mediocrity? Well, this is the level I am. And I, and I know some people who say, well, this is as far as I can go. And I say, well, well, if that's, if that's the case, then you're limiting yourself for the next stage of growth and we need someone else to do that then. Can you live with that? Can you bless that? You know, there are leaders of tens, leaders of fifties, leaders of a hundred, leaders of a thousand. I get there's capacity issues, and sometimes we have to accept what is our capacity. But most of the time, we don't stretch our capacity. 
And, and I like to put myself in situations where my capacity is stretched. It's like, oh, I'm a bit nervous. Uh, this, is, this is making me feel um, a little insecure. And if you're somebody who in your Christian life, you never feel a bit insecure from time to time, I would suggest you're not pursuing excellence. Because every time you pursue excellence, it makes you feel a little bit nervous. It takes you out of your comfort zone. You, you go to a different place and suddenly you're having to trust God in a brand new way. I want to encourage you. That's something that we need to do. So here's what Proverbs 22, the same verse in the new NLT version says, do you see any fully competent workers? They will serve kings rather than working for ordinary people. Isn't that lovely? Somebody who's truly competent will serve kings, not just ordinary people. Why? Because kings always hire the best. Kings hire the best. Now, now here's the thing. You and I, we don't start being the best. Nobody does. But we pursue being the best. And that's an attitude of heart. People often say to me, you know, how is it you know so many Bible verses? I say, because when I went to Bible college, instead of watching TV and movies, which I like to do, for three years I read the Bible from cover to cover. And I memorized scripture. I just did the hard yards in the early days. Do you get that? In the early days. And, and it's like there is no shortcut to excellence. You've got to put the hard yards in sometimes. You've just got to do the thing that, that's required. So let me give you three things. And uh, am I on a timer? I'm trying to look. How am I doing? Okay. Oh, it is counting down. I can see it now. Thank you. Okay, 13 minutes. That's good. I've got time. So here's the first thing. In order to be passionate, sorry, in order to be excellent, the first thing you, you have to do is be passionate about something. You know, I, I love talking to people and just finding out where's their, where does their passion lies. Because once you start talking about what they're passionate about, they can't stop talking. Once, once you get them to speak about what they're interested in, not what you're interested in, what they're interested in, they love to tell you all about it. And I love to spend time with people like that. I'll have to hear them unpacking why they're passionate about it, how they got hooked into that. But every single one of you should be passionate about something. Yeah. You know, one of my passions is, is releasing a new generation of leaders. Yeah. I'm really passionate about that. I'll go literally to the other side of the world in a room with 10 people and spend time with them. If I think they've got a call on their life yeah. and God's going to do something with them, for me it isn't about the big numbers. That's, that's nice on Facebook. But for me, it's about who am I influencing that could go to another place, to another level, and release a new generation of leaders. That's what I'm passionate about. And so I think every single one of us has to be passionate about something. Here's what Charles Dickens said. Here's a lovely quote for you. Here's what he said, Charles Dickens. My meaning simply is that whatever I have tried to do in life, I have tried with all my heart to do well. That whatever I have devoted myself to, I have devoted myself to completely that in great aims and in small, I've always been thoroughly in earnest. Isn't that a great quote from good old Charles? The author of great works like Nicholas Nickleby and Oliver Twist and Bleak House. I mean, just a brilliant writer, a Christmas carol. Everybody knows that particular story. And, and 
his whole thing was that he was passionate about writing. He was passionate about telling stories. And he was actually passionate about social justice that he interweaved into his stories. So he wasn't just great, a great storyteller. In a way, he was holding up a mirror to society to awaken the conscience of his particular society and culture. And I think that that's brilliant. If you're passionate, it makes the hard yards of learning your craft easier. It makes enduring hardship lighter. It makes eventual success sweeter. So here's a couple of questions for you. What brings you joy? What brings you joy? Come on, what do you love doing? What brings you joy? What, what, what puts a smile on your face? Here's another one. Okay, what are you complimented for? Do people say, wow, you've got a great voice. Wow, you're a brilliant musician. Wow, the way you greet people on the door with that smile of yours, all those teeth, amazing. <laughs> because whatever, whatever people consistently compliment you for is saying something about what brings you joy and what you're good at. And I want to encourage you, if you're getting compliments in a particular zone, a particular area, hey, come on. Pursue that. I remember, the, you know, in the early days when I was learning to teach and preach, you know, I would often come off stage off, and I would be thinking to myself, my first thought was, I could have done that so much better. I wish I'd used that illustration. I wish I'd remembered that first. And I used to spend about 10 minutes beating myself up. And it was like <laughs> regular. And then people would come up to me and I'd, I'd, I'd be really nervous. I'd think, oh, here we go. Yeah, I'd just like to say something about your message today. I thought, oh, here we go. Yeah, I've already said it to myself, so go ahead. And then they would give me a compliment. I'd think, oh, wow, thank you. And it just encouraged me to go through my own insecurity. It encouraged me to get up there again and, and do it again and try and do it better in terms of what was satisfying me. But the fact is, it was feeding people and satisfying people. So I just kept on pursuing. Do you get this? Come on, we, we, imagine if every single person in this church, not only in where you serve in this church, but in your workplace, imagine that you're just the best version of you in the workplace. You know what's going to happen is people are going to want your opinion about anything. You know, have you noticed that famous people, like they, they, they get asked all kinds of questions about things they have really no knowledge about, but we want their opinion. Why? Because they're brilliant at what they do. They're just good at what they do. I want to have that kind of attitude. I want to have that kind of excellence. So you've got to be passionate about something, friends. You, you, you've got to have something in your life that really, really excites you. And actually, you may have more than one thing. So what is it in church that excites you? What is it there that you want to get involved with? You know, is it women's ministry? Is it men's ministry? Is it kids' ministry? And it doesn't always have to be on the stage. You know, I know a whole group of people uh, in our church who just love connecting with the community. And, and they're never happier than when they're connecting with the community. That's what they're passionate about. So my challenge as a leader is, how can we create time, resource, and money for them to do what they're passionate about doing? And here's the thing. You never invest in simply a dream. <laughs> people ask me for money all the time. I'll never invest in a dream. I'll say, no, you make the dream become a reality, and then I'll invest in it. You go through the pain of giving birth to what's in your heart, and then let's see what happens. I remember when Jackie and I started to lead this church, we're leading in Surrey 10 years ago. You know, it was 36 people, 
with 30,000 pounds of debt. And, I, and it was like, I was like, oh my goodness, this is either the best decision of my life or the worst. <laughs> and, and, you know, nobody really wanted to get involved at the beginning. It was like, mm, good luck. God bless you. You know, but after a year or two, we paid off all the debt and the church started to grow. And then people wanted to see and be part of what was happening. But if you've got a dream, come on, you take ownership for the dream that you're carrying. You you pursue it. You have the faith to make it work. Here's the second thing that I found really helpful in my life. If you're going to pursue excellence, you've got to have a teachable spirit. In other words, lifelong learners always get better. There's nothing wrong with a mistake as long as you learn from it. If you don't learn from the mistake you made, you're doomed to repeat it. So so we've got to create in us that teachable spirit. You know, I don't mind leaders around me who fail or make mistakes. I've actually got their back. Well, one time we had a young youth leader. He was just really adventurous, and he, he, he really wanted to be a man of faith. But how many of you know sometimes in order to be a man of faith, you overstep because yeah. you're trying to prove yourself? Yeah. And he was kind of in that phase of life. You know, he wanted to prove himself. And we had a group of about 30 young uh, teenagers in our, in our youth ministry at that time. And he said, you know what, I'm going I'm to book this place, and we're going to get 100 teenagers. I said, okay, we've got 30. So that's three times as many plus. And he goes, yeah, I've got faith for that. I said, okay, if you've got faith for it, go for it. It was going to take up like two, uh, a third of his budget for the year. And then as the time got closer and he got like 35 sign-ups, he, you could kind of see his faith going like this. It was very deflating. And uh, he came to me one day and he just said, I, I think I overstepped. And I said, okay, did you, did you learn an important lesson from this? And he goes, sure. And he goes, yes, I did. I'll be more moderate in my faith step next time. You see, if you've got 30 people, you don't have to jump to 100. Why not jump to 40? That's a, that's, that's a 25% increase. It's like, you understand what I'm saying? You don't have to take a huge step in the pursuit of excellence. You just take a step. And then some of the other leaders came to me because he'd committed this money and we were going to lose about two grand as a church. They, came, they started pointing the thing, it's your fault. You're the senior pastor. You're meant to control the finances. Well, I've been there before, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, you know, that's, he's, he said, I want you to put controls in place and I want you to tell him off and everything. And, and I said, you know, I'm not going to do any of that. I said, he's already beaten himself up about this, so I don't need to do it. I said, secondly, if I put controls in place where he has to come to me, that's going to send a signal to him that I don't trust him. So I said, so I'm not going to do that either. He said, well, you're taking a big risk, aren't you? And I said, yeah, I am, aren't I? It's called faith. I've got faith in him. I said, and that's how we're going to run this church. And, you know, that young leader never made that mistake again. He's now leading one of our congregations in our churches. He's a phenomenal leader. And he knows how to take real steps of faith now. But sometimes you take a misstep. But as long as you learn from it and you're teachable in it, God is okay with that. Yeah. Do you get that? Yeah. But if you, if you keep repeating the same mistake, it's like, hey, <laughs> come on here. Let's wake up. So 
make sure you know what you're passionate about. Make sure you keep a teachable spirit. And then here's the third thing. Practice, practice, practice. If you want to be excellent at something, you've got to keep practicing. You know, I, I, I'm just somebody who just loves... Um, I just love it when people do things well. It doesn't matter what they do. You, you can tell that somebody's just put time and effort into a particular skill or into a particular way of being. You know, there's people in our church who just bring such excellence to what they do. I remember there was one time there was an actor who came to our church, and he, the first time he came, we were doing Movie March, where I preach out of movie clips. I think we're doing that in May here. And, uh, you know, that's because I'm passionate about movies. I love movies and say, well, movies are like modern-day parallels, so why not use them? And uh, I remember he came to the church, and he, he couldn't believe it. He sat there, he said, you use movies? And I said, yeah. Movies tell stories, and often they're telling biblical truth in those stories, so why not use them? And he goes, I've just come from a church where the elders rebuked me because I starred in a play where I was a rapist in the play, but the overall play was a good play. He said, I just happened to be the bad guy. But he said, it was, a, it was a great story. And I got rebuked and told that I should leave and that this was no way for a Christian. I said, that is crazy. Like, like if you do Jesus of Nazareth, who's going to play Judas? <laughs> you know, if you're going to have the passion of the Christ, someone's got to be the devil. You know what I'm saying? Oh, we're Christians. We can't, we can't do things... It's like, no, no, that's actually a great part to play. Uh, and if you do it really well, you communicate what the devil's really like. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, so we, we, we kind of got to get over ourselves. We've got to be people who will commit to practice. Here's what T.D. Jakes said. I don't know if we got this quote, but T.D. Jakes, I like this guy. Oh, there you go. Excellence requires discomfort. Excellence requires discomfort. Why? Because on the road to excellence, somebody's going to tell you, do it again. Yeah, but I've already done it. Yeah, I want you to do it again. That's not good enough. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Practice, practice, practice. And the more you practice your craft, the more you practice your skill, the more you practice to exercise your heart to choose the things that are excellent, Guess what? You, you become what you pursue. The Bible talks about this in 2 Corinthians 3 when it says, we beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are changed from glory to glory. Do you realize what you focus on, you become? What you behold, you become. So you've got to just make sure that you're looking at the right thing all the time. That's why we've got to approve the things that are excellent. That's why we've got to think on the right things because then we become what we behold. And if we're following Jesus and becoming like Jesus, we're going to do all things well. Mark chapter 7, that's what it says about Jesus. And sometimes the disciples didn't do it well. Lord, we brought them to your disciples. They couldn't cast him out. Oh, bring him to me. Here's how you do it, boys. <laughs> Don't you love that about Jesus? That when they stuff up, Jesus just shows them how to do it and, and keeps trusting them to do it. You know, even walking on water. Don't you love that? Peter stuffed up, and Jesus didn't fold his arms and said, tough. <laughs> Life is hard. <laughs> Jesus reached out his hand and pulled it up. He says, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? In other words, if you've got enough faith to get out of the boat, you've got enough faith to walk on the water, let me tell you. Because the hardest part is getting out of the boat. 
And so here's Peter. And, 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 and the, the problem was Peter, when Jesus says, oh, you of little faith, what he means by little faith is you, you didn't have faith to continue. It, it, it was faith that would just keep going. It was about the amount of time he gave to faith. And he, at one point, he just got overwhelmed with the wind and the waves. Friends, I just believe that God has called us to be people who will pursue excellence. And excellence attracts excellence. Excellence attracts other people. We can have the keyboard player up. Martin Luther King Jr., here's what he had to say. <clears throat> if I cannot do great things, I can do small things in a great way. Do you like that? If I cannot do great things, I can do small things in a great way. Steve Jobs had this to say, be a yardstick of quality. Some people aren't used to an environment where excellence is expected. I've always wanted to create a church where we have a standard of excellence. Where we just, we're at this level and we accept where we are, but we're not staying where we are. We want to pursue excellence. We want to pursue excellence in worship. By the way, don't you love that last song? sing a little louder oh my gosh you see if you want to improve you just have to improve by a little you know how you win a gold medal in the 100 meters you add 0.2 of a second that's what you do I love that movie chariots of fire because there's there's a time where Harold Abrahams loses a race and 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 a trainer is there who's watching him and he wants this guy to train him. And he says, you don't ask the trainer. The trainer will ask you. That's the way it goes. And he observes him running. And he comes up to him at the end of the race where he's lost. And he says, Mr. Abrahams, I can give you three yards. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, I see the potential. I see the capacity. And I've got the skill to give you three yards, which is the difference between losing and winning. You see, that's how Jesus sees you and I. He sees where we are, but he sees where we could be. And he speaks to our potential, just like he did to Peter. Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he might sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. Do you know Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us? And I can look at every single one of you today and say, but he's prayed for you too. Whatever the enemy has got planned for your life, Jesus has got something better. And he says, when you're converted, strengthen your brothers. When, when you've been through your pain, when you've been through your discomfort, when you've been through your learning, your destiny is still waiting for you. And it doesn't matter what mistakes we've made in the past. It doesn't matter what stumbles we've had in the past. What matters is, are we going to pursue excellence? Are we going to pursue moving forward? Are we going to pursue embracing God's call and destiny for our lives? Or are we just going to say, oh, this is the way I am? Hey, don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on others. Be, let's be a company of people who encourage one another and exhort one another and push one another on to go further and to be better. Can we say amen? amen. Stand to your feet. I'm going to pray for you. Thank you. Hey, if you're here this morning, 
at every service, we love to give an opportunity to people to say yes to Jesus. He is the excellent one. His name is excellent. In all the earth. It's Jesus who died for our sins. It's Jesus who offers us eternal life. It's Jesus who put your gift and your passion inside you and wants you to fulfill your destiny and your potential. And I don't believe there's any passion that's outside of God's kingdom. If it's alive in you, whether that's education or law or politics or teaching or medicine or ministry, whatever it is, God put that inside you. It's because he wants you to best, be the best version of that. If you know that you need a new beginning in life, that you need forgiveness for the past, there's, it's like a debt, an outstanding debt that you cannot pay, you cannot deal with. I'm here to tell you Jesus Christ has already paid for it. He's offering you a brand new beginning. He's offering to dwell in you by His Spirit. He's offering to make you alive on the inside and to change you and transform you. And if you know that you need that in your life, just while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just in this moment, I want you to let me know through a simple act of faith. Now, it's believing in Jesus that saves you, but, but you're letting me know right now if you just dare to raise your hand, if you could just lift that up high right now in this moment, just like I'm doing. Let me see that. God bless you. Thank you, sister. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. I see that. God bless you. Thank you, friends. Lift it up high. Let me see it. God bless you, sir. Bless you, ma'am. Yep, bless you. Great. Thank you. That's five people this morning. If you're a Christian, just pray that the Spirit of God is moving over people. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hey, here's what we're going to do, friends. We're going to pray out loud together. For every single one of us who are already believers in Jesus, this is a simple prayer of confession. Anglicans do this kind of thing every week. <laughs> For some people here today, this is a life-changing moment. And so I'd love us to encourage them and help them if we could all pray out loud together. So if you could follow me and we could say this simple prayer together. Father in heaven, Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for his death on the cross that paid for all of my sins. Thank you for his resurrection that secured my destiny. Today I declare that Jesus Christ is Lord and he is my Lord. Amen. Can we give God a big clap? He's awesome.